It seems like it was just yesterday that we were entering into the new millennium and we were uh, freaking out about that whole Y2K issue. Remember that? If you recall, everybody thought that the world's computer systems were going to crash and overall havoc would fall upon not only our country, but the entire world. People were taking money out of the banks and putting it in their mattresses. They were preparing for all kinds of, of unknown struggles. But when it was all said and done, we came to realize it was a big fuss about nothing. And the financial systems didn't crash, and life continued as usual. Crisis avoided. Speaking of crisis, life has a way of bringing about many different ways and many different times and kinds of crisis in our life. But today, I want to talk to you about a man-made crisis that is slowly destroying our ability to have intimacy with God. It's called hurry. We move at such a fast pace and we live life that is filled with so many things that keep us on the move, we never find time for God. Perhaps you've noticed these new signs in our sanctuary. I pointed them out to you last week. It's our theme for this year. Be still and know that he is God. And we've chosen that as our theme for a very good reason, because we, the people of God, we've got to learn to slow down. We've got to quit moving in our lives at, at, at breakneck speed because it's slowly destroying us. And it is negatively affecting our relationship with God. John Ortberg is one of my favorite authors and pastors. I had the privilege of meeting him about 15 years ago. Once when he moved across country for a change in ministry while he was settling into his new church and city and position, he decided to call his spiritual mentor for some advice. So Ortberg described to his dear friend all about the details of this new church, the new city, the workload, the pace and schedule of his life and his family. And Ortberg asked his friend, his very dear friend, um, that he said he is the most spiritual man that he has ever known, what do I need to be spiritually healthy? What is it that I need to be close to God and to be effective as a family man and as a pastor? A long pause ensued, and, and here was his response. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. After another long pause, Ortberg said, yeah, I wrote that one down, that's great, but what else? And his mentor said, there is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John Ortberg came to realize that, that his spiritual mentor was on to a very deep spiritual truth. And this is what he wrote regarding it. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry can destroy our souls. Hurry can keep us from living well. As Carl Jung wrote, hurry is not of the devil, Hurry is the devil. Hurry keeps us consumed with the cares and riches and pleasures of life, as Jesus put it. We live in a driven society, driven to succeed, to achieve. We're driven to excess. We're driven to simply to keep busy. You can hear it in our language. What you been doing? What you been up to? How's it going? The problem is constant activity does not draw us near to God. 
Jesus was aware of this in his day, and he routinely withdrew from the crowds and from activity, and he taught his disciples to do the same. Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. Now, some of you may say, well, I can't rest a while, Pastor David, and I would say to you, of course you can't, because you filled your schedule with so much coming and going that you have absolutely no wiggle room. Between work and and family commitments, getting your kids to all their clubs and and sports and extracurricular activities that they're involved with, along with keeping up with your social life and its demanding schedule, you find no time at all to be still before our Heavenly Father. This scripture, be still and know that I am God, is found in the 46th Psalm. It's verse 10. It's a psalm that I would call a tragedy-driven psalm. It was uh, composed in response to a terrifying event that happened in the life of a good king named Jehoshaphat, whose story you will find in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The scriptures tell us that King Jehoshaphat was a good king. He was a godly king. But one day, his patrolling troops looked out over the horizon and they saw dust clouds as three mighty armies were marching toward Judah. They investigated and they found out that the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Munites, and all the otherites, had made a treaty to attack and to plunder their nation. Well, good King Jehoshaphat was understandably afraid. I mean, there was no way that he could have won this battle against those three large armies with his ill-equipped army. So he did what righteous people should always do when they're afraid of an approaching crisis. He prayed. He poured out his heart before the Lord. And in response, God sent the prophet Jehaziel with this message found in 2 Chronicles Chapter 20, verse 15. Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And I want you to get this. When he heard this, Jehoshaphat led his people in a worship service. And the next day, He and his army went out to meet their enemies with a choir leading the way and not soldiers. And this choir was singing praises to God. And when they crested the hill and they looked down on the enemy camp, all they saw were dead bodies. It looked as if a great battle had already taken place, and it had. Because in the night, God had confused the enemy soldiers, and he confused them so much that they attacked each other, and not one warrior was left alive. Well, this miraculous event is what inspired Jehoshaphat's music director to write the 46th Psalm. And I want to read it together this morning so that you can see this event reflected in words. should be up on the screen behind me. God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, 
though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, whenever you read the Psalms, there are Psalms that are structured in such a way that the, the theme you will find in the first verse. And such is the case with the famous 23rd Psalm, built around those, those famous five words, the Lord is my shepherd. But other Psalms are written with the theme being located toward the end, and such is the case with this 46th Psalm. The foundational truth here, the basic message in which this Psalm is based goes way down to verse 10, and it's God's instructions for tough times. Be still and know that I am God. But I would suggest to you today, ladies and gentlemen of High Point Assembly, these instructions are not just for tough times, but for all times. We've got to be still. We've got to allow God to comfort us, to be our refuge and our strength, and to receive his direction and to find rest in him. Now, in light of what this king is dealing with, armies coming against him so vast that you probably couldn't count them, and, he, and realizing they couldn't survive, you may wonder what this scripture has to do with us today in the 21st century being caught up in a frenzied hurry. And I would answer that by saying it has everything to do with us. Because what happened here is God had to take Jehoshaphat's attention away and refocus it back onto him. And in exactly the same way, God wants us to refocus our attention on him instead of all the distractions of life that are going on around us. Because if you continue, ladies and gentlemen, to focus on these lesser things and never allow yourself to be still before your God, it will lead to your ultimate demise. And I know that sounds a bit dramatic, but it is absolutely true. You will find yourself on the path to ruin when you find no time for God. Oh, we think we find time for God, but we're never still before him. And as a result, we never hear his leading and we never hear his direction for our lives. And, and, and that time that we think we are giving to God consists of us doing all the talking and all the asking and presenting him with a laundry list of the things that we'd like to see happen in our lives and the lives of our family members. And there's no time to simply just listen to what he has to say to us. No time whatsoever to receive his direction. And so what happens is we approach every circumstance in the same way that we approach general life. 
hurried and running around like our hair's on fire or something. And we make choices and decisions and wrong turns based upon fear and a lack of time and a lack of understanding, all because we never still ourselves before God. The scripture tells us to be still. But using these two words in this sense doesn't really capture the full meaning. You see, in Hebrew, what it literally means is let go and put your arms down to your side. Some translations say it this way, cease striving, or simply relax. But it carries the idea of God saying to us, when you face a trying situation, or even when you face just daily life, lay down your arms, put down your sword, put down your shield, step aside and acknowledge that I am the one and the only victorious God. Put your army at the rear and be led in the front by your choir, your personal choir of singing my praises. Because all of these daily battles are not yours to fight, God says. They're mine. This is my battle. This is not yours. This is what God told Jehoshaphat when all of these armies, all these ites, as I said, were coming his way. But I, I want you to be sure that you know our lovingly fa Heavenly Father doesn't just stop there. Within the 46th Psalm, he doesn't just tell us to relax. He tells us how to relax. He says, be still and know that I am God. In other words, he reminds us that there is something we can know, something that will help us to cease striving and to relax. One commentary that I read about this particular text points out that most of the time when difficulties come our way, when trials and trying times come our way, we respond emotionally. We entertain all sorts of feelings of insecurity and even panic. Well, in this psalm, God challenges you and I to respond not emotionally, but cognitively. To respond to daily life on the basis of something that we know. And that something that we know is that God is our loving Father instead of something that we feel like stress or like hurry. And can I just say something? God seldom tells me exactly how my trying issue of that day is going to work out. But he does give me just enough light so that I can see my next step. And so my point this morning is very, very simple. If you're so occupied that you never find time to be still before God, how can he provide you with that light for you to take that next step? And furthermore, if the time that we do spend with God, you find that you're the one doing all the talking and asking, how will you ever expect to be able to hear his still small voice? So in this psalm, God is saying that you can still relax, you and I can still stop striving even if we don't know how something is going to turn out. Because we can know who's going to work it all out. God's going to work it out. And never forget this, ladies and gentlemen, knowing God is better than knowing what the outcome is going to be anyway. Listen, I know that we all put on this outward appearance that everything's okay in our life. 
I do it every Sunday when I get up here. I have issues in my life just like you do. I try to put on my best face. Some of you wouldn't think I have a care in the world. Well, I do. I'm just like you. We all have issues. We all have struggles. And we walk around acting like we got everything together. It appears like we've got everything under control. But I know better than anybody when I am running out flat out, when I'm trying to meet all of my obligations, wondering if I can make it happen, I am far from having anything under control. And that's our problem. We think we're in control when we're not. God's in control. And we need to get that through our craniums. No matter what we bring to the table, ultimately it is God's purposes and it's God's plans that are going to prevail. So wouldn't it make sense for you and I to find time to be still and to listen to what God has to say or to listen to whatever direction he wants to take us or to listen for his answers to the decisions that have been set before us? Well, the truth is we won't if we will never take the time to be still and to slow down. And so this morning, I want to provide you with three points to help you to understand the importance of being still. And all of them come right out of this same psalm, the 46th psalm. And the first one is to remind us that God is our refuge. And refuge is a concept that the first readers of this psalm would have greatly understood. You see, Old Testament records show that in ancient Middle Eastern times, they lived by a rudimentary form of, of justice. And this form of justice called for the services of someone who was known as a blood avenger. If a member of your family was murdered, your relatives would call a meeting and appoint someone to fulfill this role. And their task was as gruesome as their name indicates. The blood avenger was to track down that killer and to end his or her life. Now this was a crude form of a judicial system, but it worked. Back then it was a definite uh, detraction for, for murder. However, this system did have one major flaw in it, in that it did not allow for accidental homicide. As an example, let's say a woman needed to go to the market. She jumps on her camel. She takes off. She's in a hurry. A five-year-old steps out in front of her, horrified. The, she, she pulls back on the rein. She yells out to the child, but the child gets trampled. And she climbs down off of the camel, and, and she tends to the child as best as she can, but it's too late. The child dies. Well, that five-year-old's family calls a meeting, and they appoint a blood avenger whose orders are to track down that housewife, catch her, kill her, and bring us the proof. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's not fair. She didn't mean to kill that little boy, and you are right. And precisely because of this, in the books of Deuteronomy and Numbers and Joshua, God addressed the problem by establishing cities of refuge. We're calling some of our cities cities of refuge today, and it has nothing to do with this. Throughout the nation of Israel, six such cities were set aside as safe zones where someone like this housewife could flee for safety. Once inside the city gates, she would be safe from the blood avenger's wrath. And this place of respite gave time for a fair trial to be held so that justice could be done correctly. And these cities of refuge 
give us a clear vision or a clear picture of our Heavenly Father's heart. Because bound up in his character and in his, his nature is the desire to provide safety and refuge for people like you and me. Especially in those times when we feel the crushing demands that our over-scheduled lives and daily struggles can bring. God knows that when difficulties come from daily life, sometimes what we need is a place to flee. Somewhere where we can feel safe, where we can sit down and we can actually catch our breath. One of the most beautiful word pictures of this comforting truth is found in Psalm 91.4 where it says, God will shield you with his wings. Did you know that when a mother hen becomes aware of a predator that is threatening her offspring, she responds by simply lifting up her wings and then those little chicks disappear underneath them. Initially, that predator saw a doting hen and several cute down-covered chicken McNuggets. <laughs> but now the predator sees a mean-looking mama who dares him to take one step forward. She is a refuge for her children. She's their protection. Yes, eventually the chicks will have to crawl out and face the real world again, but for a little while, there is nothing quite like the soft shelter of their mother's wings. And this psalm reminds us that God delights in spreading out his protective wings and enfolding his overwhelmed and sometimes frightened and sometimes out of control children. He says, hide here for a while. Regroup. Recuperate. You can find new strength here. And you know something? There is no person in all of history who has faced more responsibilities and duties and pressures than Jesus did. And Jesus modeled for us this practice of taking time out from the daily struggles of life to find refuge under God's wings. Sometimes he would take an entire day and an entire night, grab a couple of disciples and retreat away to some kind of a safe place whether it was a boat or the far side of a mountain or some secluded spot in the desert, there were the places where Jesus would go and enter refuge that his heavenly Father had prepared for him. And in that place of shelter, Jesus would have his strength restored and his sense of purpose, and he would rely on that as he went back out working with all of his might to claim the world for his Father. Well, let me tell you something. This morning, if, if you're feeling oppressed, or weary, or afraid, or tired, if you are grieving, or, or you're anxious, or, or you're disappointed, or you're lonely, or you're heartbroken, or if you're just plain ragged on the edges from moving at a far too crazy and relentless pace, then hear what Psalm 99 promises. Excuse me, Psalm 9, verse 9. The Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed a refuge in times of trouble. And all you need to enter his refuge is to ask. And listen to Psalm 62, 8. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Please hear the words of our Heavenly Father. Remember that as we face the issues and the demands of daily life, we can relax because he is our fortress, our refuge, 
In fact, we should build our lives around regular time spent in the comforting refuge of God's presence. Because it is there, ladies and gentlemen, where you will find that peace that you desperately need. Well, here's the second thing that being still reminds us. God is our strength. And that's a wonderful truth to claim because nothing saps our energy like never being still. The daily trials of life have a way of draining us emotionally, physically, mentally. And at times we feel like we can't move ahead. But throughout his word, God promises to give us the strength that we need to move on, to see it through. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is the light, is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Philippians 4.13, the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And this psalm echoes this same truth. God is our source of power for facing any battle in this life. The Harold family was a Christian couple who around the turn of the century went to the Philippines as teachers. They opened schools for tribesmen known as the Igorot who lived in the remote mountainous regions of that country. Mr. Herod combined, excuse me, Mr. Harold, not Herod, Harold combined his teaching duties with efforts to build roads throughout that entire region. The work was, was backbreaking. And what made it even worse is that there were no modern-day machinery available to them. All they had was dynamite and bare hands. So they'd blow up a huge section of rock, and then the Igorot people would move it piece by piece in their hands. One day, Mr. Harold rode back horseback back into town for supplies, and when he, when he was there, he spotted a crate that was filled with wheelbarrows. He couldn't believe his eyes. So he quickly bought them, and he loaded them onto a truck that he borrowed, and he drove his way back to the camp. And upon his arrival, he instructed the Igorot foreman, he said, guard these wheelbarrows so they won't get stolen, and he immediately drove back into town to return the truck. Then he retrieved his horse, and and he continued his shopping, and then he headed back home. And as he rode back to the work site, he almost fell off of his horse with laughter, because before him were these Igorot men energetically and enthusiastically using these wheelbarrows. But having never seen one before, the foreman had assigned four men to each wheelbarrow. They would fill each wheelbarrow to the rim with dirt and rock, and then four men would grab a corner of the wheelbarrow and lift it up to their shoulders, and then they would grimace and they would groan and grunt and carry it over to the ravine, and then they would dump it there. You see, for them, a wheelbarrow was simply a large container to carry more of the refuse that they had to throw away hand by hand. They had never seen a wheel before, so they didn't understand how it was used. In other words, there there was this amazing power that was available to them building that road, but they never utilized that power. Well, the fact of the matter is that you and I are just as foolish as those tribesmen. When the daily grind of life comes our way, we inevitably attempt to carry any burdens on our own shoulders, when we should instead heed the instruction of this psalm and rely on the power of the Spirit of God. And by the way, relaxing is a requirement for obtaining God's power. 
Jesus said, my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul rejoiced in relaxing his own efforts so that he could rely on God's power. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, he said, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Psalm 46 tells us that we can relax even in the midst of our crazy, fast-paced lives. We can quit striving because God is not only our refuge, but he is our strength as well. But the psalmist goes on to tell us that there is one more thing that we will discover if we will be still before God, and it is this. We will learn he is with us. It says in the scriptures, he is ever present. One thing that is certain about us human beings is that we are relational. And God meets that inborn need for constant companionship because he's always with us. And you know, God doesn't promise to remove struggles from our lives, but he does promise his presence in the midst of those struggles. And this is possible because God is an ever-present God. There is no place where he is not. When we talk about the omnipresence of God, it literally means that God is everywhere. Wherever you are, God is as well. Whatever issues you are facing, God is near. He is right there with you. God doesn't leave us or turn his focus somewhere else when times get tough. In Hebrews 13, 5, God promises, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The Greek in this passage has five negatives. So it literally reads this way. I will not not leave thee, neither will I not not forsake thee. In other words, in this text, God emphasizes over and over again that he will not forsake us. He will never leave us alone. And he wants us to firmly grasp this truth no matter what our circumstances may indicate, we can know that, that he will not leave us to the mercy of those circumstances. We can relax because God doesn't leave us on our own. When life goes at warp speed, he is very near to us. And please understand, we can stand anything by knowing that Almighty God is with us. Remember, as the psalmist reminds us, nothing is too big for God. The earth could give away. It said the mountains may fall into the sea. And even that would not cause us fear because God is with us by our side. And my prayer today is that this truth will make you feel just a little bit calmer in 2020. And that after looking at this psalm, you will learn to take some time and you will relax just a little bit and maybe, just maybe, You'll learn to quit constantly strive and slow down a bit and be still before God. Take a moment each day, even if it's five minutes, to just shut down and shut down everything that's around you. Lock yourself up in your office. Lock yourself up in your car. Go sit down behind a, underneath a tree somewhere, but be alone with God because I'm telling you, he will bring you peace and he will bring you rest. And he will refresh your ragged and your rushed soul. 